are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Millions of peaches? Peaches for me? This episode is brought to you by the peach tree. If you grow one, you will get millions of peaches. Peaches for free. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm the host of the show. My name is Steve. Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. And each week, I invite a guest who joins me on the show to share with us all about a plant that means something to them. And then I share with the guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. It is the philosophy of Rootbound that everybody has at least one plant that is meaningful to them because plants are so integral to our lives as humans on this planet. If you want to reach out and share a plant that's meaningful to you, send me an email, rootboundpodcast at gmail.com. Now, before we meet our guest today, I must admit, I was wrong. I was very wrong. I was, as they say, loud wrong. Later in the show, you will hear me correct our guest about the meaning of corm versus bulb, and I was entirely wrong. So uh, I want to clarify those definitions here, and just remember, when you're listening later, don't listen to me, listen to the guest. So a bulb is an underground storage organ that is made up of modified leaves, and so therefore it has layers like an onion. So remember, and our guest said this, onions are bulbs, so if it has layers like an onion, it is a bulb. Corms are modified stems, and so think about stems really don't have layers like that. They have kind of a an outer layer, but then the inside is homogenous, and so a corm, which is a modified stem, is homogenous throughout that underground storage organ. So that's the difference between a bulb and a corm. I know I've covered this previously on the show before, but it's one of those very confusing things, and I totally got it completely wrong. So apologies to our guest, Hunter. I'm very sorry. I'm sorry, so sorry, that I was such a fool. Sorry. Hi, Hunter. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Yeah, thanks for having me. Do you have a plan to share with us today? I do. Yeah, this is a, this is an interesting one. Um, and it's one native to the eastern U.S. Um, it's called the cranefly orchid, um, and the Latin yeah the Latin name is Tipularia discolor. Ooh, um, I so so just a little background on this uh, for the audience. I nor- normally uh, I you know the guest tells me the plant beforehand, and oftentimes I have a little bit of an idea about the plant. Um, but this time I had no clue and I decided, I, I just saw the name. I didn't even remember what it was cause I just saw the name and knew I had no idea about it. So I was like, okay, 
I'm going to just like not even learn anything and just have Hunter tell me all about it. So yeah. yeah. So this is a, it's a plant that's overlooked a lot and, and not a lot mm. of people know about it. Um, it's, it's not rare by any means though. Um, it's actually fairly common in certain parts of its range, but it's very unassuming. So it's easy mm. to walk past and just completely miss it, but it has some interesting facts about it. So um, I guess, like I said, it's it's native to the eastern U.S., um, specifically like the Appalachian Mountains. Um, mm-hmm. It grows in deciduous hardwood forests, and it's like an understory plant. Mm. Um, so what's interesting is, so it is an orchid. It is in the orchid family, and it's a terrestrial orchid, so it grows in the soil. It's not uh, mm-hmm. epiphytic. It's not ep- Yeah, uh-huh. like a lot of uh, the, the tropical orchids that... You know, mm-hmm. most of us are familiar with and it so it likes deciduous hardwood forests and it grows usually near some sort of decaying wood because it requires a uh, fungi uh in the soil which a lot of orchids do yeah i, I we surprisingly have only had one other orchid on the show and i learned that that episode i guess i i think the vast majority if not all orchids require some kind of like symbiotic relationship with a fungus right is, yeah exactly amazing yeah so it's amazing that that's the case and they're like still the most the most abundant genus of flowers right Even yeah so yeah balance. the orchid family is a is a large family of uh, of plants um and i mean i think just so, so i'm in east tennessee um and i think in our state we have like 50 different species of orchids uh oh, native wow. to this area so yeah it's, it's a big plant family one one before we get into some more dazzling details i'm very curious about why you chose it why this plant is meaningful to you what's your connection to this so um i do my wife and i will do um go hiking um a good bit and we're always looking at plants you know being being plant people so um <laughs> i came across this uh i came across the flower of this and it kind of spurred my interest in all the different orchid species we have um kind of close to my area i mean i think i've got i could probably think of about 10 different species of orchid just within my surrounding counties um, wow. and it's something that not a lot of people realize how many species of orchid we have um, in this area. So that, that kind of is what got me interested in this plant. Very interesting. And this one in particular was it was the first we said it was the first one that you Yeah, so it's like I said, it's actually fairly common. So um, if you know what to look for, um, it's pretty easy to find. Very good. Well, yeah, why don't you describe it a little bit? That's always going to be a challenge, if, I think particularly with orchids, because they have a unique look. But yeah, so what does it look like? This one's interesting because it actually goes dormant twice a year. It's got, it has a single leaf that emerges around December, and, it's, and it stays green all the way through winter. The reason for that is because it's now getting a lot of sunlight in the wintertime because these deciduous forests, you know, all the trees have dropped its leaves. So being on the forest floor, it's able to then get the sunlight to photosynthesize. Clever. Yeah, yeah, kind of interesting. But like I said, it's just one leaf. So, so and it's only the leaf is only maybe three, four inches long, and it's green on top. And if you pick up the leaf, the underside is purple. Wow. Yeah, I mean like a, like a dark purple. Um, so that's a good way to to be able to ID this uh, during the winter. 
fascinating. Wow, I've, I don't know. I live in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Do you know if it's it range extends out yeah, this way? It, it Maybe up in the does. Shenandoahs. Yeah, it's um, the range is like from Florida all the way up into New England, and oh, as wow. far west as like Texas. I think in those outer areas, it's not as common, um, but anywhere kind of along the Appalachian Mountain Range and the foothill areas, um, it, it's actually fairly common. Very interesting. Okay, so we'll talk about those two dormancies. I, we, yeah, so yeah. the leaf comes out in December and stays all the way through winter. And then in spring, when the trees leaf out, it's lost its sunlight. So the plant actually goes dormant. Uh, the leaf dies back mm-hmm. and it, 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 there's nothing visible um, until about the middle of summer when it puts up its flower stalk. And it's just a single flower stalk about 12 inches off the ground and there's no leaf. It's just a flower stalk with maybe uh, up to a couple dozen uh, little flowers on it. Wow, that's so cool. What an interesting process. So, uh, one, I don't know if you know the answer to this. It's okay if you don't. I was, I'm not afraid to tell the, the audience to Google it. Yeah. But do you know what kind of underground storage organ it has? Because clearly it has to like store energy over time. Yeah, so technically it's a corm, um, huh. which is similar to like a bulb, um, but... That, that, Very that, coincidental. My plant is also a corm. Is it? That's okay. a big coincidence. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a corm. Um, it's always confusing trying to, to figure out whether it's a bulb or a corm or a, a tuber and <laughs> all of those terms. I'm going to try to define that later unless you want to do that now. I have that in my notes specifically again. But but if you have like a good way to say it, um, you're, the, you're a plant scientist. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. I guess the way I look at it as I always think of an onion as being a bulb. Um, so it's got like the, this basal plate at the bottom where mm-hmm. the, a corm, um, for, uh, for a corm has the, yeah. So the onion, the, okay. I'm good. Yeah. I'm confused. <laughs> so, so a bulb, um, like daffodils or tulips, um, they have this, these roots, you know, at the bottom mm-hmm. and it has layers to it like an onion. And then the corm, which is what this, uh, this orchid is is very similar, but it doesn't have the layers, but it still has that basal plate with the roots. Okay, I, I'm, I don't want to like sharpshoot you here, but I think it's backwards. I think. Okay. I I just was googling this. I think the corm has the layers and the bulb does not. But just quick googling and yeah. trying to confirm. Yeah. No. Like, like I said, it, it is. It's definitely confusing. So I could have this. Yeah. Anyway, I just wrote that in my notes, and I'm just anyway. I, I, <laughs> I and then when you get into tubers and um, and uh, uh, rhizomes and all the other ones, it's very confusing. But yeah, I think so. I, it's a, I think the question is whether the crane fly orchid is a corm with layers or a bulb, which is homogeneous like a potato. I think, but it's not a potato because a potato is a tuber. But right. like the like the. <laughs> the matter but anyway yeah so so the the crane fly does not have the layers so okay so maybe it's a bulb (laughs) (laughs) anyway audience google it i think this is very clear example of of why these things are very confusing and plants are plants have um have come up with a lot of very similar uh, strategies to store their energy. Yeah, the yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so it, it has an underground uh, food storage uh, tissue. <laughs> okay, good, good, yes. Okay, so that's that's very interesting. So, man, what, so, yeah. what a really interesting process. Yeah, so in the summer, it puts up this flower stalk, and, and this is kind of where it gets um, kind of weird and unusual. Um, so uh, orchid flowers are bilaterally symmetrical, 
Um, so if you uh -huh. if you draw a line down the center, um, both sides would mirror each other, um, but not with this one. This one, Whoa. yeah. So this orchid is is there's I don't know how many different orchids are like this, but this one is actually uh, asymmetrical, so it can't be divided in any way uh, equally. Whoa, that is really interesting. Yeah. It's really flipping the script on what an orchid is. Yeah, wow. yeah. So kind of unique in that aspect. Um, and then with the flowers, the pollen is actually contained um, in these pollen sacs. It's not just like loose pollen that can get dispersed by the wind. It's, it's actually a, a clump of pollen. Um, mm -hmm. And that's important because these flowers are pollinated at night by moths. Ah. So the flowers are, the, the color of these flowers, they're small and they're kind of a pale pink and almost brown color. So they're not very mm. showy. Um, they, they actually camouflage pretty well um, with their surrounding, which is, you know, leaf litter. Mm -hmm. um, but at night, they're fragrant, so they attract the moths. And these, these moths are after the nectar of the flower. And because of this asymmetrical flower structure, the moths have to orient themselves in a certain way to access the nectar. And these <laughs> pollen sacs attach to the moth's eyeballs. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. You, you said like three things right there yeah. that were really amazing. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. So that's how the, the pollen gets transferred to other plants is, is uh, by moth's eyes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So... So I presume maybe there's something else about the way they land that it makes it for the pollen sac to easily fall off in the right place, too. Yeah, so it has something to do with where the nectar is located um, within the flower and where the pollen sacs are um, and how the moth rubs up against these these pollen sacs. Yeah, and I guess I, I have to look at a closer picture, but maybe the, the stigma or whatever is in a different place, right, where that when that moth orients it like... That it's like a puzzle. Yeah, it's yeah, like, it is. It's, it's it's pretty unusual. Wow, that is really interesting, man. So uh, that, I mean, you don't see. The, well, I think I think often flowers. I can't think of another like non-symmetrical flower at all, actually, off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, either they're radially symmetric or they're or they're you know. Yeah. But the fact that it like evolved to like basically force the moth into the right position and you couldn't do that with something that was symmetrical that is incredible. yeah yeah kind of unusual um so yeah. that's so that's how it gets pollinated and um then the flower goes uh, dormant or or it'll produce seeds if it gets pollinated and then and then the plant goes dormant um until the leaf comes back out uh, around december the you know the following december really really interesting Okay, well, let's talk about that name really quickly, because when you said we were about to talk about its pollination, I was going to assume that it's pollinated by a crane fly, because it's called the crane fly orchid, but that's not the case. So why is it called that? So, uh, tipularia, um, the root word is like tipula, which is used a lot in reference to crane flies. So I think there is a species of crane fly that where the genus is like tipula, 
Um, I see. So that's so the Latin name Tipularia just means crane fly. So that's where we obviously get the common name. But it's said that the flowers resemble a crane fly. I see. I see. And then I guess the discolor thing happens because it doesn't really have a colorful flower. Is that my guess? Yeah. Yeah. Either that or the uh, the different colors of the leaves, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a oh yeah I guess that makes that might make more sense discolor discolor just sounds like kind of like a epithet it's like <laughs> it sounds like a but yeah yeah I, I think maybe that maybe the least I'm looking at a picture of the least now that is really fascinating it almost looks a little bit like like you could mistake it for like uh diseased plantain leaves or something because <laughs> yeah. they have like spots on the leaves yep. too yeah yeah sometimes um, the leaves can have like these uh, purple specks on top um but sometimes they're solid green on top too so there is some variability in the, in, in the color of the leaf very cool i'm gonna keep my eye out for this uh, uh actually i guess i could go out now and look for it in december uh, yeah so we have some on our farm and i just looked at it a few days ago and they're just now starting to come up so they're they're um they're starting to pop up um, about this time very cool man i think i mean all plants have really amazing like uh evolutionary features but this one and i think orchids maybe are pretty special in the way they've adapted to have these special features particularly. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this one has this really unique ability to like take advantage of the, the, the understory or the overstory being empty because of winter and get the photosynthesis then. Yep. And then later it takes advantage of the moss for this really, it's a very clever plant. Yeah. It's definitely found a way to adapt uh, to its environment and to its life cycle uh, in, in just about every aspect. Do you know um, if, if like, deer or other things eat it during the winter? Um, I, it doesn't seem like uh, many animals bother the leaf. I know the deer will um, eat the seed pods um, after the seeds uh, are formed uh. in the fall. Um, so the uh, having the seeds uh, re-germinate um, is, is not very likely um, because of a number of things. Because uh. the, the deer eat it. Um, but also because of that fungi relationship within the soil. So there's, there's a lot of it, it's, and that, that's partly why the pollen is in a pollen sack is because it's trying to get all of that pollen to another flower. It doesn't want to waste anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is super interesting. Actually, the plant I'm going to talk about has a similar characteristic in some cases where pl plants are so interesting versus animals in that they have multiple ways of reproduction and I, I does this one also reproduce i think through minute like the corms separating as well or the yeah so every one? year yeah. It, it creates a new um structure storage yeah. organ <laughs> yeah. uh, so it'll, it'll actually create um kind of this chain of these storage organs um kind of like beads on a string you know kind of a look uh -huh. but the the previous years um they go dormant so um it's only the most recent uh, structure that will actually leaf out and flower. I see, but do they split as well? They can be divided and, and, yeah, and regenerate. Yeah. Right, so they can kind of spread underground, and so they the, if they don't need to spread by seed necessarily, right? They Correct. Can like, yeah, which that's I mean, it, it, it's it's very fascinating. I always like try to like make a comparison. Like, what if humans could like reproduce through just cloning and also the you know the, the normal way yep. it's like two 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 modes it's it's very uh very cool <laughs> um 
Did we did we miss any fun facts and dazzling details? There were a lot there, but is there anything else that we haven't talked about with the crane fly orchid? Um, that's probably about it. Um, I have gone out and looked at these flowers at night, and I did find actually that crane flies tend to are attracted to it to some extent. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. Whether or not they actually play a part in the pollination process, uh, I don't know. Um, but I thought that was interesting. I overlooked an orchid while searching for a road. The orchid that I overlooked was you. The rose that I was searching for has proved to be untrue. The orchid now I find, my dear, was you. Thank you for sharing about the crane flight orchid with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? Yeah, please. All right, let me, I got up there, pull up my notes. Okay, so um, th this plant, I'm going to tell, we'll try not to tell too long of a story here about why this plant is meaningful to me, because it's one of those things where I've only encountered this plant, I think, twice, maybe three times. Well, maybe more, and I just, I just didn't notice it. But so the audience will know that I used to live in Switzerland. I lived in Switzerland a good number of years ago, pushing 20 years now. Um, and uh, there's a lot of really interesting plants in Switzerland. It's a really beautiful place. I don't know if you've ever been to Switzerland. Um, nope. Awesome place. Uh, but anyway, I, I have a particular connection to a town in Switzerland that I think most Americans will know the word, where they may not know the details about it, but it's a town called Gruyere, which is where the cheese mm. is named after. In fact, the cheese is named after the entire little region. Uh, the cheese doesn't have an S at the end, but the town of Gruyere has an S at the end. It's pronounced the same because French dropped those last letters. Um, but Gruyere is this just beautiful little town in the French part of Switzerland. It looks like, if you look at it from the distance, it looks like someone just like dropped a little town on top of a hill. It's like this perfect little hill with nothing around it, huge Alps in the background. And then there's just like this town with a castle on top of this hill. It's, it's a stunning place. Um, now I'm trying not, like I'm trying not to be too long, but my connection to this town is kind of weird because it's because I, my my background is in filmmaking, and I I, I made a documentary years ago about this uh, artist named H.R. Giger. Are you familiar with him? Uh, I'm not. H.R. Giger's most famous is he designed the alien for Ridley Scott, mm, okay. and he he was known as like the Swiss dark surrealist. His paintings are very disturbing. <laughs> Okay. And, and so the fact that I'm about to talk about a pretty flower is funny because my connection to this town is through <laughs> this guy who made these really just, I mean, if you look at it, his art, it, some people really like get nightmares from it. He, he was able to tap into like whatever like terrifying things are in the human psyche. That was his like thing. So I made this documentary about him and I interviewed him and stuff like that. But kind of strangely, he made his museum in Gruyere, even though he's from the German part. But he, he fell in love with this town when he saw it, I think, kind of like me. It's just so picturesque that he decided he wanted to build his museum there. Okay. And uh, he bought the kind of secondary castle. There's like a main castle at the top of the hill, but there was like a little bit of a lesser castle down below, and he turned it into his museum. And for years, um, the people of Gruyere really didn't like it because there was like this beautiful little Swiss town that's known for Swiss tourism and stuff like that. And then you go up the hill and there's this like dark, scary museum. Like, <laughs> right. But they grew to love it. So anyway, I, I made this documentary there. Um, and so I interviewed him there. And so I spent a lot of time going to Gruyere. And then on the day of the premiere, we were there with a bunch of friends. And uh, it, was, it was spring, it was April. And we, uh, we were coming up the hill 
which you can walk up. I think we might have took the bus that time. I'm not sure. But anyway, you can walk up. And as we got there, the whole hillside is covered with these beautiful little white flowers. And they were just very stunning. And I took some pictures of it. And, and, and so, so now, like, Gruyere and the documentary I made are kind of connected in my mind to these little white flowers. And those little white flowers, too, they're, they're not the, the ones you expect for Switzerland. They're not Edelweiss. They are spring crocus, mm. which um, is pretty interesting in a few ways. Now, so the, the, the species and genus of this are crocus vernus, which means spring crocus. Crocus, by the way... Try not to do too much of a side here. Crocus is the Greek word for saffron. Because you probably okay, know saffron yeah. is also, also crocus, but it's a different one. It's crocus okay. sativus. This is crocus vernus. But the one I'm talking about is crocus vernus albiflorus. It's a subspecies mm. of crocus vernus. So it's, it's a white flowering, you said. Yes. So I guess the, the normal species is purple, is that right? Yes, yes. Okay. And And one thing I really couldn't get to the bottom of here is... Why it's a subspecies and not its own species, I, that, I know that can be complicated. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding, the Crocus vernus albiflorus really grows in the high alpine regions of Europe. And so it grows in the Pyrenees, it grows in the Alps, and it grows in the Carpathians. Okay. And it's predominantly white, whereas the rest of them are more purple. And I was also trying to figure out why is it white? Um, what is that advantage? You know, and, and like I guess it makes sense it's a subspecies because... Yeah, you can have you can have morphological differences or color differences and stuff like that. But it's interesting that it's so widespread, and when it gets into the mountains, it, it becomes uh, purely white. This mm. is my theory. I could not find any references to this, but this is my theory. Um, so the crocus flower is and and the bulb are toxic to a lot of things, but I guess some things do eat them. Okay. And so what I found is that um, the leaves are eaten by rabbits and deer sometimes. The um, corms can be dug up by squirrels, marmots, maybe marmots. That's actually, I think, marmots, voles, and other rodents. And then the flowers can be eaten by crows or magpies. Mm, and so my thought is that up in the mountains where there's no tree cover, and these are spring crocus, so they, they bloom in the springtime. So there's probably still a decent amount of snow on the ground, or there could be snow on the ground. That being white is an advantage to be not noticed by those those animals as easily that's my yep. theory yep <laughs> but uh, i'm surprised i couldn't find anything about that I, you know it's it's a plant that i think it has its uh, disadvantage of being um so related to i mean be like when you google it you find everything about saffron right because that's just like the most famous sure. crocus <laughs> right um, and then the other thing you find is there's lots of people who grow them um you know, at their homes and stuff like that. So a lot of the internet results are just flooded with kind of this horticultural use. So mm-hmm. the the biology of the wild Crocus vernus albiflorus, there's not a ton out there, which I was kind of surprised about. So I, I, yeah, my fun facts are a little bit lacking. And we already covered the other one, which is bulb versus corm, which is good. <laughs> but it's the same <laughs> yeah. thing. It's yeah, that's interesting. Thing. I'll have to I'll have to look up pictures of that. Sounds nice. Oh man, it's beautiful. When you like see, there's some pictures where you see huge fields, and then the Alps in the background still covered with snow, oh, and it's just like, it's like unbelievable that it exists. Huh? Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, couple other quick notes, and then 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 I think we're done. Uh, one cool advantage of it, uh, a lot. Well, there are a ton of different crocuses. Um, not all. I think most of them. Well, maybe not. I don't know. They either, they either bloom in the fall or the spring. Mm-hmm. The saffron crocus blooms in the fall. 
the spring crocus blooms in the spring. So spring crocus is a really great early nectar and pollen source for pollinators. So that's a really, especially in the mountains, right? When you've got a cold, harsh winter, yep. and as soon as possible, those insects need to get that, that source. So it's, it's probably, it's one of the first flowers then that, that comes up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, whereas the, the, the saffron crocus is actually one of the last flowers to bloom. So it kind of serves the opposite role when the, when the pollen and nectar are there. Now the, the, the saffron crocus, I think is not, really it's more it's a little bit more eastern than than this but it it's spread all around the world so um in fact i well i don't want to get too much in saffron but i guess the saffron crocus is is really just a cultivated like there's not really much evidence of the wild saffron crocus as we know it because it's been cultivated for so long it really just did gotcha. you know anyway um i yeah i was trying to figure out like could you harvest the <coughs> the stigmas from spring crocus and I don't think you can, but I, I read one theory, and this is maybe going too much into saffron, that that uh, the, the stigmas from crocuses were being harvested thousands of years <coughs> for various medicinal purposes. And okay. that process of cultivating those is what kind of developed the, the saffron crocus into what it is today, which, you know, it's crocus sativus, which means cultivated saffron. Okay. So, but, so maybe there is some, some connection. I may, I'm not sure... There is a, another crocus that's called the autumn crocus. Okay. The autumn crocus is separate from the saffron crocus, which is also an autumn crocus. But this is where things get tricky is that autumn crocus is not in genus crocus. It's in genus col- colchicum, colchicum. Yeah, colchicum. Colchicum. And it's, it, so it's a different genus and it's very poisonous. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's like, you know, that's something that people who are dealing with, with that. And I, I think, I believe that the, I couldn't find a lot of solid evidence that the crocus vernus is really poisonous, but I, I think it is definitely less than the autumn crocus, which okay. is... Okay, so a little tricky. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. So anyway, um, and then, okay, the last thing I guess I have to share is that there is a cultivar of spring crocus that's called Joan of Arc, which is a very nice name. Mm-hmm. And it was um, hybridized by a guy named W.J. Elden, Elden Ring, Elder Ring, which is a cool name. Um, he's a Dutch guy. Back when the Dutch were just, they were like the hybridizing guys, right. you know? And so I, I, I couldn't find any evidence of this, but I have a theory that he did a hybridize of the Vernus albiflorus because it is a white um, uh, cultivated so maybe, one. Yeah, so maybe he used that for the white. Yeah, and flowers. then I think the difference between the, one other difference between the regular Vernus and the albiflorus is that the the white one is a bit smaller, but the Joan of Arc is a bigger white flower, so I think he okay. was going for both, and he did yeah. it, so that's a pretty common one. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to look that one up, too. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have to share about um, the spring crocus, so thanks for uh, joining me on this episode. Yeah, very interesting. Thanks for having me. I haven't seen a crocus or a rosebud or a robin on the wing But I feel so gay in a melancholy way That it might as well be spring It might as well be spring Okay, so before I realized I was so very wrong about bulbs versus corms, 
I planned at the beginning of the show to share the definitions of two other words, which are related to what we just spoke about with Hunter. And so I would like to define those now. I think they're pretty interesting words. And uh, as you know, um, me talking about vocabulary helps me remember them, but hopefully it also helps you remember them and learn something as, as well. So uh, the two words that I'm going to share are hysteranthus, it's tough to say, hysteranthus and synanthus. So that um, middle part, anth, anth, comes from the word anther, which is, is Greek for flower. So this has to do with flowers. And uh, it's two different ways that plants behave regarding their flowers. And just as we are, are talking about the plants we talked about today, um, the crane fly orchid is hysteranthus, and the spring crocus is synanthus. So hysteranthus means a plant that has the leaves emerge at a different time than the flowers. So as Hunter described with a crane fly orchid, the uh, the leaves are up in the winter, and then at some point in the summer, the flowers pop up completely separate from the leaves, um, which is very interesting, and that makes this plant's hysteranthus. The spring crocus, the leaves and the flowers pop up at about the same time, and that means they are synanthus. So those are two new words you can add to your plant vocabulary list, hysteranthus and synanthus, and with that... We will end this episode of Rootbound. Thank you for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Hunter Knutson. Hunter is a plant scientist and horticulturalist and the co-owner of the plant nursery, Green Canvas Farms. Learn more about it at greencanvasfarms.com. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com support to find all the ways you can help support the show, including pitching in on Patreon. Rootbound is hosted by Corm Confuser, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, keep your eye out for those little noticed flowers, like the cranefly orchid. You know what? I'm moving to the country. I'm going to eat a lot of peaches. Yeah, moving to the country, going to eat me a lot of peaches.